to the last chapter of John's Gospel, John chapter 21 tonight. We'll go over prayer requests and things at the end of the service this evening. The Gospel of John, chapter 21. Uh, let's read this evening from verse 1 down to, uh, let's go to verse 14 uh, tonight. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and the two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. Just to give you a reference, two hundred cubits is about three hundred feet or a football field. Verse 9, as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine, and none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them, and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after that he was risen from the dead. Now John chapter 21 is considered by many to be an appendix to, the, to John's gospel. If you look at the, the last two verses of chapter 20, it's, it's, it seems as if John is concluding his gospel. He says, "...and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing he might have life through his name. It seems like that is his purpose for writing the gospel. And, and because of those final words of chapter 20, 
There's some who go as far as to say that perhaps John didn't even write chapter 21. Uh, but I want to tell you tonight, there's no proof of such thinking. And In fact, if you look in the last two verses of chapter 21 of, of John's gospel, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who by all indications is John the Apostle, wrote this chapter as well. He says, this is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which of they should be written every one. I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. When you think of everything that we read in the Gospels and all the miracles that Jesus did, it's amazing, isn't it, to think that there are so many more things than was ever, uh, was ever penned for us in Scripture. Now, in this chapter, chapter 21, we, we see the breakdown of our Lord's provision for those who trust in Him in verses 1 through 14. If you take notes, in verses 15 and 17, we'll see Peter's pardon. And then Peter's purpose in verses 18 through 22 before John's conclusion in verses 23 through 25. And tonight, we read the first 14 verses because we're going to focus on the first part of the chapter. And the Lord led this, led me to this passage tonight because I think it scares all of us more than we care to admit that we need to trust God to meet every need. And it scares us because there's a natural law that is inherently within all of us, and that is the law of self-preservation. We'll simply do whatever it takes to survive, won't we? We will, we will fight, we will claw, we will do everything that we can to be assured that we will get through it. And that's what makes faith so difficult because it goes against our own inherent nature. George Mueller was the one greatly known for his faith. And if you ever have a chance to read, read anything about George Mueller, especially his autobiography, it will encourage you in your prayer life. He said, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. And for me, that's a scary place. I'm sure it's a scary place for you. Because it's, it's, we get to a point where we recognize we can't do it. And that is the realm in which God wants us to live our life. Time and again, the Bible teaches us that the just shall live by faith. And while our flesh wants the world to know this is what I can do, Faith says this is what God can do. So tonight, as we look at this chapter, and as I've been studying it, and the Lord has been reading me today, we've got to ask ourselves the question that the apostles had to before they went out and changed the world, and that is this. Can the Lord take care of me if I surrender all to him? Can he take care of me? Now Jesus said, when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, 
he said, we'll pray in this manner, right? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then what does it say? Give us this day. Who, who in their right mind wants to pray that prayer? Amen? Who wants to pray, Lord, give me, give me enough bread that is sufficient for today? When all of us want enough bread that's taken care of for the next year. Amen? Now that is how the Lord wants us to live. When he says pray, pray like this. That God can provide and take care of our necessary need on a daily basis. So, as we look at this chapter tonight, as we look in verses 1 through 14, can the Lord take care of me if I surrender all to him? John, would you, would you lead us in prayer tonight? Hope us in prayer this evening, okay? Amen. So the apostles, by the time we get to chapter 21, they're in a usual, an unusual place in their life of faith. And for a period of time, they had spent practically every day in the physical presence of Jesus. And I think that rightfully so, we would stand in awe of that and wish, man, it would be nice to live one day in the presence of Jesus Christ. You consider that the apostles had witnessed miracle after miracle. They had seen Christ meet every need that was presented to him. But sadly, when we read the Gospels, they had become so accustomed to the power of Christ, they were, there were times that they took it all for granted. Now, all four Gospels mention they provide the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with, as John 6 mentions, five barley loaves and two fish that Jesus received from the hand of a young lad. But when you go a short time later, the disciples once again found themselves in a familiar situation. Turn your Bible with me to Mark chapter 8 tonight. And I want us to see what takes place just a, just a short time after Jesus fed the, the 5,000. In Mark chapter 8, 4,000 had been traveling with Christ for three days without anything to eat. And it says in verses, uh, verses 2 and 3 that he wouldn't send them away hungry. But because of his compassion, he wanted to take care of them. And once again, his disciples doubted how they could feed so many. When Jesus, in just a couple of chapters earlier in the book of Mark, when Jesus says, we're going to feed them, they said, how can we feed so many? We, we only have this little bit. And he says, well, what do you have? And they say, this lad has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these among so many? Well, Jesus blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and, and they dispersed it and 5,000 men, not counting women and children, were fed on that day. And now you get to verse number four. And his disciples answered him, from whence can a man satisfy these men 
with bread here in the wilderness. I mean, talk about short-term memory. And, and realizing they just saw Jesus perform a miracle that leaves us in awe. But for them, they've just gone a little ways and they think, well, what, is, what are we going to do this time? And Jesus asked them in verse 5, how many loaves have ye? And they said seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break. And gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did set before the people. And they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled, and they took up the broken meat that was left, seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. So he follows up this with a lesson concerning the Pharisees in verses uh, 10 through 13. And uh, he speaks of the Pharisees false teaching. And I want you to look with me in verse 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to take, to take bread, okay? He just fed 5,000 men and they had 12 baskets of leftovers. Isn't that good? That's a whole basket of leftovers for every disciple, right? For every apostle. And now just a little time later he feeds 4,000 and they have seven baskets of leftovers. And now here they are just a few verses away from that from that miracle, and it says in verse 14 that they had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one single loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. Yet, obviously, their mind was where their stomach was, Right? They realize we don't, have any, we don't have any bread. We got one loaf of bread for all of us. And so when Jesus says, beware of the, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, they think, well, it's got, it's got to be because we don't have any bread. And Jesus, verse 17, knew it. He saith unto them, why reason ye because you have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes see? See you not, and having ears, hear you not, and do you not remember when I break the five loaves among five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took you up? And they say unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took you up? And they said, Seven. And he said to them, How is it that ye do not understand? I mean, if if they lacked, if they lacked faith in the presence of Jesus seeing the miracles that he had done, surely they would lack faith in his absence, right? I mean, how many times does God do something in our life and before you know it, we're back where we was when we started. We're back to a place of a lack of faith and not believing that God can take care of it. Go back to John chapter 21 on the day of our Lord's resurrection in John 20. He instantly appeared in the upper room and he spoke the words of peace unto them. In John 20, verse 21 says that when the disciples, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. When they saw him, they experienced peace. And for some reason, Thomas wasn't absent and he, he missed the Lord's first appearance. And although he had heard the testimony of eyewitnesses, he refused to believe 
until eight days later when once again Jesus appeared instantly and he did the same thing. He offered words of peace. Because peace, peace is what Jesus wanted his disciples to have. Peace is what he wants us to have. Christ never intended for us to face this world in fear and worry. Yet even as believers, we are anxious over so many things, aren't we? We're always filled with worry. We're always filled with concern. A lot of times we're afraid. Will the Lord meet this need? Will the Lord provide? If I step out on faith, am I going to fall miserably? If I give a little bit more, where is, where is the money going to be to pay our, our grocery bill or our utility bill or our car payment? But peace is what he wants us to have. Christ never intended for us to face this world in fear and worry. Love, joy, peace. Those are the things that Christ offers those who have trusted in him. But all of us will admit that they do not come naturally to us. Amen? Joy, love, and peace don't come naturally. We don't have a hard time sleeping at night because everything is perfect. We have a hard time sleeping at night because we got a lot of concerns. We got a lot of responsibilities. We got a lot of weights that are carrying us down. Despite the cross and the subsequent thoughts that all their hope was gone, Christ was found alive. And in him, the apostles found themselves victorious. And so do we. Amen? And there is unspeakable joy in knowing that our sins are forgiven and that the righteousness of Christ is now our very own. But the apostles were entering a new phase of their relationship with God that required them to believe when they could not see. All the times when they were with Jesus, it was... It was easier for them because they could see what he was able to do. And even when they could see it, Casey, they still had moments where their heart was hardened and they doubted in God's ability. No longer would they experience the everyday physical presence of Jesus. Now they had to learn what it was to lean upon the spiritual presence of Christ. In Matthew 28 and verse 10... Bible tells us that the apostles were to go to Galilee following Christ's resurrection. And when you get to John chapter 21, that is where they are. It says in verse 1 that they're at the Sea of Tiberias, and which is also the uh, Sea of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee. Tiberias is the city on the western shore of Galilee. When you go to, uh, when you go to Galilee, T Tiberias is usually the place where you stay. This, this area was home for many of the apostles. And because it was home, it was familiar territory. They were a little bit at ease because of their surroundings. And while they were waiting on Jesus, Paul impulsively, like Paul normally does, it's, it's easier to uh, just get into action than it is to wait on the Lord, right? Waiting on the Lord requires faith. But me putting my hand to the plow requires me doing something. And so Peter impulsively decided to do something that was familiar. 
and his six brothers in the faith went along with him. They said, he said to them in verse 3, I go a fishing. And they said to him, we also go with thee. And without hesitation, all of them went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And why, why did they do that? Scripture is vague uh, concerning their reason for going fishing. We're in John chapter 21, guys. Scripture's vague. I, I don't know, I can't nail down to you why Peter chose to go fishing. There are, there are some commentators who believe that Peter wasn't just suggesting that they do some recreational fishing, but rather he was declaring his intention to return to his former livelihood. And they offer some scripture to possibly present that reasoning. And maybe, maybe they were. Maybe they were at a place where you know what, I, I don't know what's happening. I know Jesus is alive. I'm thankful for that. But right now, Jesus isn't here, and I'm just going to go back to what I am familiar with and used to. And maybe they were experiencing doubt due to feelings of spiritual inadequacy. I mean, Jesus says, follow me, and I'll make you to be what? Fishers of men. Well, I got news for you. That doesn't come natural for anybody. And it is a lot easier for a fisherman to become fish, fisher of fish than it is fisher of men. And so the apostles are just like us. Maybe they were feeling spiritually inadequate of what the Lord was asking them to do. And in a moment of doubt and a moment of self-preservation, they just went back to what they knew they could do. Jesus, could Jesus really, could they really become fishers of men? And just as importantly, would the Lord really meet their daily needs? We have similar doubts when we feel the need to make certain changes in our life, don't we? When we feel like we need to make a job change or we need to make a life change, lifestyle change or something in us. There, we, we have doubts, is this what I really need to do? Is this really how God is leading me? Is this really going to be the answer to my prayers? Especially when it comes to our financial giving. Especially in the month of, of uh, Missions Emphasis Month and Faith Promise Missions. And we're praying about what it is that we can sacrificially give unto the Lord. Can, if I do this, can the Lord meet and supply my need? And maybe the Lord is leading us to take a step of faith, or maybe it's just a simple act of obedience. But when the provision isn't completely clear, we are all accustomed to feelings of doubt, worry, fear, anxiety, you name it. And to me, in my life, it seems like that's how the Lord works. The Lord leads us to a decision, and he doesn't make it crystal clear what the results are going to be. Because if he did, there is no faith. Amen? There is no trust. If, if, Peter, if Peter would have succeeded in catching fish on his own, would he have eventually, would he have just walked away from the Lord? Because he failed on his own, it allowed him to get to a place where he could be completely dependent on the Lord. And sometimes God... Sometimes God is asking you to take a big step of faith. Sometimes it's a little step of faith. Sometimes it's just an act of obedience. Will you obey me? Will you do this? All right, will you just give this person a gospel track? Just do this. 
uh, my former pastor uh, reached out to me today. I, I wasn't able to talk to him. He, he called, and then he left me a text message, and, and he was at the McDonald's in Priceville. And uh, he said, he pulled in there, he went through the drive through window, and he gave the lady a gospel track. And uh, he was describing the lady to me, and uh, he asked her, he says, do you go to, are, you, do you, are you a Christian? Do you go to church anywhere? She says, I don't go to church anywhere, but I need to go to church somewhere. She says, I've, I have been going to the Jehovah's Witness. And he says, well, that's not a church. That's an occult. And, and he's just blunt. That, that's my blunt pastor that I, that I grew up with, okay? And, and he just said, well, he says, let me tell you something. He says, there's a church right up the road, Somerville Baptist Church. That's where you need to plug in. I know the pastor there, and he'll help you. And uh, he described the lady to me, and so I'm going to go by there tomorrow and hopefully catch her at work and uh, give her a personal invitation to church. Listen, it's, sometimes it's just a simple act of obedience, right? Uh, the Lord taught me this lesson as a young man. I, I went to a McDonald's drive through and it was, a young, it was a young lady, possibly a teenager, maybe just out of high school. And the Lord encouraged me. He says, give this young girl a gospel track. And I gave her a gospel track. And she looked at it. And I said, are you a Christian? And she says, no, sir, I'm not. But I've been thinking about it. I hope to goodness that that... I mean, I gave her the gospel. And it showed her how to get saved. I hope that she got saved. Just sometimes it's just a simple act of obedience. And will we trust the Lord with that? For whatever reason, Peter and the others decided to go fishing that night. And these professional fishermen were returning with empty nets by dawn's early light. And when they were about 100 yards offshore, they could see in verse number 4 the figure of a man standing along the banks. And it was Jesus. But the disciples didn't recognize him. They didn't know it was him. And that's not unusual following Christ's resurrection. Because you remember when Mary was in the garden and she found out that Jesus was alive? You remember she, Jesus, she, uh, she approached Jesus and she thought that he was the gardener. Y'all remember that? And, and he called her by name and she realized it was Jesus. And then the, the disciples in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus, they walked alongside of Jesus. But they didn't recognize who he was until he made himself known unto them. And when we stop and think about it for just a moment, I mean, how many times possibly that the Lord was right there with us and we didn't even recognize it was him, you know? It was the Lord working something out in our life. He was drawing near to us. But we didn't recognize that it was the presence of the Lord. Jesus called out to them in verse 5, and he asked them a question. He said, children, have you any meat? I just picture Jesus yelling, can you, 100 yards away, children, have you any meat? And that's not unusual. I mean, every time I go fishing, I, I, somebody asks me, hey, did you have any luck? Or they ask the question, um, did you leave any for the rest of us? And my answer is always the same the apostles gave. No, no luck. And you don't have to worry about, you don't have to worry about me catching all the fish. Uh, their, their answer was, no, sir. Uh, we, we didn't catch anything. 
And whereas most men you speak to will keep their fishing holes to themselves. You know, you ask them, where did you catch those fish? And they're not going to tell you exactly where they caught those fish. The man from the shore suggested they try his spot. And in verse 6, read with me. He said unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship and ye shall find. Now, who is this guy? It would be very simple, Mark, for them to say, nope, we're too tired. Nope. We've tried it all. It's too much work to throw it back in the water and pull it up again. Who is this guy to tell us? It's very easy to offer an excuse. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll offer up an excuse when God is fixing to do something big in our life. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. That's a lot of fish, amen? Now, take note of that. They were not able to draw it for the multitudes of fish. They couldn't get in the boat. In verse 7, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, it's the Lord. That's the Lord. Now, one of the reasons he knew that, turn back to Luke chapter 5. This wasn't the first time this happened. Look in verse 1, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, which, as I mentioned earlier, is the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias. He saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. They were done fishing for the day. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, Simon Peter's, and he prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And Jesus sat down and he taught the people out of the ship. And when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draw. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toyed all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their nets brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink the partners would have been uh, James and John. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the drought of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the son of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto them, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And they brought their ships to land. They forsook all, and they followed him. Now back in John 21, when this happens, John recognizes it. 
We've been here before. I've seen this before. That's the Lord. That's the Lord standing on the bank. And when they recognized it was the Lord and perhaps remembering their commitment when they earlier, they forsook all and they began to follow Jesus, Peter quickly put on his fisher's coat, jumped in the water and swam as fast as he could to shore. I'm glad he did that, aren't you? I'm glad he did that because he, to me, he sets an example of how we present ourselves to the Lord. And he, he was out there fishing and... I, I imagine, I at least hope, Brandon, that he wasn't completely naked. I hope that he at least had a loincloth about him. But whatever it was, he didn't, want to, he didn't want to approach Jesus that way. He put his fisher coat on him, and he jumped in the water, and he began to swim as fast as he could to the shore. And it says that others followed behind in a little ship, dragging the net behind them. And look in verse 9. As soon as they were come to land... They saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. And with stomachs growling and feeling famished, they discovered Jesus had breakfast already prepared. Ain't that good? I mean, when you're hungry, you're hungry. When you've had very little luck and you've been all night, you're ready for something good to eat. When we had that fishing thing back, to, back in March... And uh, we had several people go. We were at uh, Ingalls Harbor, and it was, it was in March, and it was cold, and it was windy. And we were out there in the main cha river channel, and we were fighting those waves. Boom, boom. I, I mean, my, my, uh, my uh, uh, depth finder fell off its mount, almost fell in the water. My plastic windshield, it, a piece of it broke off and flew off. We were getting wet, and I looked at Will... And the tournament was supposed to go on till I don't know, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. It was like, it was like 9 o'clock. We were out in that channel, and because my depth finder about fell off, it was off. And all of a sudden, our motor started shaking, and I said, that don't sound good. And we realized, even though we're in the middle of the channel, we'd hit bottom. We'd hit a sandbar out there. So we raised the motor up, and we turned around and started going back. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and I said, I think I'm done. And he said, me too. And we, went, we, we, we casually made it back, and we loaded up our boat. And I sent a picture, and I, I took a picture, and I sent it to the guys. We went to uh, uh, Big Bob Gibson's, ordered a big plate of food. We were warm, we were dry, and I sent it to them. I said, this is what I'm doing right now. I'm done fishing. All right? Here they were. They've been fishing all night. And man, to walk up there and there's those fire of coals and fish are on it. Breakfast is warm. It is ready. And Jesus said in them in verse 10, he says, bring of the fish which you've now caught. And if you want to know the physical stature that Peter had, I was thinking about this. I, I would picture him. I know, I know if you watch that show, The Chosen, he looks different. But I don't think that guy in Chosen could do what Peter's about to do. I picture a guy like Brad Hill. All right? Because look what it says in verse 11. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes. Now that's something. 
In other words, they weren't minnows or bait fish he was pulling in. They were great fishes. And 153 of them. And for all, there were so many, yet was not the net broken. When they were in the ship, they couldn't pick them up in that ship. But when Jesus said, bring the fish, it said Simon Peter just went out there and grabbed the net and he pulled them all on shore. He had something to bring to Jesus. And I don't know for certain what's significant about the number 153 other than that was the exact number they caught. Some people try to spiritualize it and maybe there's something to it. I, I, I don't know. I'm not that smart. But what I do know is that they had a better day fishing than I've ever had. And they did it with a single casting of the net. And they did it not because they were really good fishermen. You understand that? It wasn't because they were really good fishermen, and it wasn't because they had the latest, greatest sonar equipment. I always tell Christy, if I had this piece of equipment, I'd be a better fisherman. But that's, yeah, I haven't got it yet. I haven't won that argument, all right? I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it wasn't because they had that. They were successful because the Lord provided for them. And when Jesus invited them to come and dine in verse 12, it says, none of the disciples asked him, who art thou? Because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. So what would encourage you and I more? What would increase our faith and that of our church family? For us to be labeled a success because of our own efforts? I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to give it everything I've got at whatever I try. I'm going to give it everything I have. But if, we're, but if I'm successful because of what I did, I get the glory for that. That doesn't encourage anybody. I tell you what that does. I'll tell you exactly what that does. That discourages people. Because we're all guilty of comparison. We're guilty of comparing ourselves with other people. And as Scripture teaches us, all that does is discourage us. We look at their talents and we wish they had their talents, and why can't we do that? Or we look at how God seems to be blessing them and why can't God bless me in that? And we forsake all the goodness of God in our life as it is. And so if it's all about our greatest effort and we can say, boy, Darren did a fantastic job there. That'll encourage Darren. That'll encourage Darren. But for the rest of us, it'll discourage us because I couldn't do as good a job as Darren did. What will really encourage us and what will really cause our faith to increase is for us to testify, you know, I can't explain it. I simply acted in obedience to what the Lord instructed me to do. And that was the result. Oh, Peter, boy, you must have used all of your years of experience. That must have been your best fishing hole. And Peter said, nope, all of my experience brought me home to the shore with nothing. But when I did what Jesus told me to do, 
I don't know how. I don't know what he saw that I didn't see. I don't know. I don't know why. But all I know is this. There was more fish in that net than we've ever caught before. That'll increase your faith. That'll increase your brother's faith. That'll increase everyone's faith. You see, because now they're at a place where, you know, on the first day of the week, Jesus appeared. And eight days later, and how they counted days, it's the first day of the week, the next week, and Jesus appeared. Well, don't we expect the Lord to show up on Sunday? And I expect him to be here this Sunday, don't you? But it's the Monday through Saturday that we really struggle. And we're tempted and we doubt and we fret and we worry and we're anxious and we're concerned. And it, it does everything it, 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 it can in us to be here on a Wednesday night. And then the Lord just shows up. And it's a simple thing as fishing. And I struggle and I feel like I'm failing and, I'm, and I, I look at myself and I just think, man, what am I doing here? And I don't even know it, but the Lord is right there. Hey, would you do this right here? Would you try this? Would you, would you through his word, maybe it's in his word, hey, I'm speaking to you about this right here. Will you obey me in this? And we can testify and say, man, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what the Lord did, right? Let us understand this. That is where God wants us to live our life. And there's nothing in me that says, Lord, I want to live a life where I don't know where tomorrow's bread comes from. I'm going to do everything I can to be sure my family's got bread. But faith puts us in the realm where it's humanly impossible. And that's where God is. Let's wrap up. We learn from the passage tonight the value of simply trusting the Lord. And even though circumstances around us causes us to worry and fear and leaves us empty despite our most dedicated efforts, and even when we do not recognize the Lord is near and has our provision already prepared, let us be faithful to simply obey His Word and learn to listen to the Holy Spirit's leading in our life. In the verses that follow, Jesus deals personally with Peter for the first time since he publicly denied Christ. And Christ goes right to the heart of the issue. Look in verse 15. Jesus asked Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? In other words, do you love me more than your boat, the nets, the fish, the lifestyle, etc.? Do you love me more than all this stuff? Peter's response was, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my lambs. He does it two more times in the next couple of verses. Feed my sheep. 
And then in verse 19, at the end, you'll notice the red letters. Follow me. And in verse 22, at the end, he says, follow thou me. What Peter learns, as we all should, is that obedience is the essential evidence of genuine love. We can say we love the Lord all we want to. We can say, oh, I love the Lord. If you really love him, you obey his word. If you really love him, you'll trust him for the next step in life. If you really love him, if you really love him, Peter, feed his sheep. If you really love him, feed his lambs. If you really love him, follow him all the days of your life. May we be blessed to experience this life with a dependence upon God and his provision rather than all the wealth that man can acquire. Father, I pray your blessing upon the word of God tonight. May you use it to help your people. And may you allow us to trust you deeper. Father, it goes against everything that this world teaches me to do. I'm supposed to have security. To have a roof over my head. Cars to drive. Clothes. Plenty. The American dream I'm taught to chase after. Lord, the law of self-preservation to do whatever I have to do to survive the circumstances that are before me. But to live a life of faith leads me to a place where I say, you know what? I'm completely dependent upon God. And if God lets me sink, and if that's his will, then so be it. But maybe if I trust him, Maybe I can testify. Look what God chose to do. Bless that testimony, I pray tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's it.